All right. Um, let me give you just a little background information. Some of you know this, but there might be a few people that uh, aren't aware of this, and the message would really be lost if, if you didn't have a little of this, this background information. In the Old Testament, um, do you remember when Moses met God and said, what is your name? God said, I am that I am. He kind of gave him a description, really didn't give him a name. Throughout the Old Testament, God was known through a series of compound covenant names that depicted the Lord in his various characterizations. Jehovah Sidkenu was the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Mekadesh was the Lord our sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, Shalom, peace, is the Lord our peace. There was about eight or nine, depending on how you count these, um, and they were all descriptions that described God. None of them were really a proper name, but they were what Israel used as a name. So they would use that Jehovah, the Tetragrammaton. They'd call him the Lord or Adonai. And um, then, like I said, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Until Jesus came and God had a name. All those Old Testament compound uh, covenant names that revealed God were consolidated together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus put a face on God. Jesus brought into manifestation all of those qualities that seemed ambiguous and um, seemed abstract. You know, God was known by these great acts of power that would manifest, but he wasn't really known personally. The zenith, the height, the perfect revelation of God was when God condescended from his glory into our miserable circumstances of sin and showed that God at his core is love. God desires to be with us. The angels announced at the birth of Christ, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, he said to Mary, and they rejoiced. God with us. So, I've picked one of those compound covenant names this morning. I really think the Lord picked it, so let me give him credit for this. Um, and this message is, all, is really piggybacked off that name, and that is Jehovah Shammah. Everyone say Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah shows up in the book of Ezekiel. It's actually the very last verse. Ezekiel um, was a great prophet that had visions. He had uh, amazing life filled with supernatural visions that God gave him and revealed to him the future and things to come as well as the conditions of God's people and then through the ages. And in the very last verse in the book of Ezekiel, the very last thing he said was he saw the vision of a great city and as best as Ezekiel could understand it, God showed him this city, and he named the city Jehovah Shammah. And Shammah is there. The Lord who is there. That's what Jehovah Shammah means. We sometimes change it up and say the Lord who is here. But it basically is a description of God being present. The Lord is present. And it was tied to this 
this vision of the future city, if you will, because God has to use physical things that we understand to, per, to uh, uh, convey to us huge ideas. And so when God wants to show humanity a picture of us living together in harmony and unity with God, he shows us a city. So Ezekiel sees this huge city, and he calls it the Lord is there. Now John, who also had tremendous visions, and God gave him the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The last vision that John saw of God was the exact same vision that Ezekiel saw hundreds and hundreds of years before. He also saw a city, and he called it the New Jerusalem. Now when, when Ezekiel spoke of that city in Ezekiel 48 and 35, he said, The name of that city shall be called, The Lord is There. Or in Hebrew, he wrote, Jehovah Shammah. When John saw that in his last vision at the end of the book of Revelation, when he saw that city, John said this in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 23. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. So John sees the same city and he sees that it's a physical picture of a spiritual reality that still lies off in the distance. And that is there is this kind of oneness between God and his people. There's not a temple where people worship God because God himself, Jehovah Shammah, he is there. And because he's there, he is light. And John said that the light of Jesus was the light of life that gave life to men. And so what we see is a picture of God being there with us. This wonderful oneness. Now my message this morning isn't an attempt to describe the futuristic city of God or what it's going to be like or anything. I only use these examples because I want to lift out of them the idea. The idea that God desires to be with us. It is the ultimate purpose of His will to be with us. When you hear Jehovah Shammah, think God is there. His ultimate dwelling is with you and I. And together, Jesus and His bride, Jesus and His body, Jesus and we who the Lord is bringing to know Him out of the earth, become what John called the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is in a city where we get an apartment and the Lord's got a big one and we, we kind of meet and talk and, and uh, have a lot of food and um, do fun things together. Um, the model of the city is simply to convey the idea that the city itself is Jesus and us combined. So I, Obviously, I can't describe what that is going to look like. I just know that it's there. But today, in the 21st century today, 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the dead, Emmanuel, God with us, that concept is at work. 
People keep praying, Lord, I want to see you out there in life and the circumstance. I want to see you on my job. I want to see you opening doors. I want to see you preventing this. I want to see the world changed. It's not a bad idea. But the <laughs> point is that where we really see him is Jesus said the kingdom comes not with observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. And that we see him out of a heart that's open. And he said, I will come in and I will sup with you. I will live inside of you. I will dwell within you. This is where we see him. This is where that change takes place is inside us. You've heard it said so many times, you, can change, you can't change your circumstances, but can, you can let God change you. And that, that makes a huge difference. Now, as I said in, in Matthew 1, 23, when the angels announced him, when the Lord spoke to Mary, he is God with us. Jesus is that perfect manifestation of God being with us. I think, personally, my favorite verse in, um, in the New Testament that describes how he's with us is right there in the beginning of John 1, and that's why I had you turn to it, John chapter 1. Um, John writes concerning Jesus. Listen carefully to how these phrases are put together and what's said. Beginning in verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only one, himself God, who is in the closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So there's some very powerful things that John is revealing here. The first thing he is saying is that we who have received him, we have received of his fullness. We haven't received a touch. We haven't received a down payment uh, uh, that's a part of, of God, but we've received of his fullness. Grace for grace. And I want to comment on that in a moment. But on to this next section where he says, the law was given, everyone say given, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the law was given to people who asked for it rather than having the Lord himself come and be with them. The contrast is that religion is always looking to the law. Religion is always looking at what do I need to do to position myself so that I'm worthy of God, worthy of heaven, worthy of acceptance. It's the essence of that. And so when God, for example, on Mount Sinai wanted to meet with his people, Moses said, tomorrow morning we're going to go up. God says he's going to meet with us. I don't know. There's thundering going on. It might be pretty scary. Don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I've been up there. He saw what it did to my hair. And, but we're going to go and God's going to meet with us. And the people of Israel at the last minute, what did they say? They said, we don't want Jehovah Shammah. We don't want to be where there is. So give us, you go up and come back, let us know what he wants. So the law was given. I don't want God giving me a law. I want to be with him. I don't trust myself with a law. I know exactly what I do with any law that I get. But I know that from the moment I met him, the moment he came into my heart, 
I didn't have to worry about a law because the Lord began to move on my heart. Uh, I like that scripture in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 that says, It is God who is at work in you to will and to do His good pleasure. So the law is given to people who ask for it instead of having Jehovah Shammah, instead of having the Lord be with them. So today, what that means for you and I is uh, even among Christians, there are people who prefer not to be close to God. They find relationship uncomfortable. They prefer God at a distance. Up close, too hot, too warm. I like a cool relationship. And so if God could just sort of see to it that I am given, you know, one or two things to work on, I'll do that, and I'm better, better off. But grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, you might not like this next thing that I'm going to say, and a lot of times we don't like the things that help us the most, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, if you don't want grace and truth that came, there is no other way to know God. Um, there's no alternative. Jesus is God pressing his face from the invisible eternity into the visible reality of life. And when he did, grace, which is the love that gives, and truth. A lot of people like grace, but they're not so crazy about the truth part. And that's because their idea of grace is um, the uh, permission to stay the same, whereas grace is really the power to be more, the power to change. Um, so at any rate, grace is God loving you, God expressing His love for you. And truth, we know what truth is. Truth is, is the reality of the universe. It is God's reality, the truth. And so truth, grace and truth came through Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, there is no other way that that's the way he came. In other words, God with us, Emmanuel, is the Lord coming and representing himself. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now listen to me. Um, Jesus came as God loving you and I and desiring Jehovah Shammah revealed himself that we would be with him. And so if we don't want Jesus, if he doesn't appeal to us, the Lord does not have an alternate. Um, and you're not going to get to know him. He came to make God known. That's what that last verse says. The only one himself, God, who is in the closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So if you don't like what you see when God has made himself known, then maybe you're not looking for God. Maybe you're looking for something else. But if you're looking for God, he's made himself known. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, I thought about this. I thought about natural analogy. And one of the things that came to mind is when we uh, used to drive around Africa, there is nothing quite as unnerving. <laughs> Particularly if you're in a dense populated area. Densely populated area, there's absolutely no traffic laws. There's no cops. You come into uh, thousands of people fly into intersections all at breakneck speed and may the 
It's the fittest of the, the, the you know, survival of the fittest. And uh, it'll absolutely freak you out driving in Africa till you get used to it. And so I remember when I was first driving in Africa, I wanted God to manifest as a traffic cop. Every time I'd approach an intersection, um, Wilson would be driving. Uh, Wilson's from there, so Wilson would be driving the car. And man, I would find myself closing my eyes. And I wanted to see some signs. I wanted to see a traffic light. I wanted to see a cop directing traffic. In other words, I wanted to see God manifest making order of a chaotic world. I wanted to see him directing things. You stop, you come. You know, you understand? How many of you, you all old enough to remember traffic cops directing? I wanted to see God manifest in the circumstances of life. It was scary out there in a chaotic world where it's every man for himself. Until I finally realized I was never going to see that. When you're driving in Africa, it's like living in the world. It's like life. Life is coming at you. It's dangerous. I was absolutely stunned. I couldn't figure out with thousands of cars and little yellow vans with the doors off of them, stuff filled, 58 people in a little van hanging out of the windows, flying around, and little dudes on motorcycles with a, a husband, a wife, three children, and a pig on a 90 you know, cc motorcycle and driving with flip-flops in and out in between traffic, hundreds of them, you just think, this is crazy. I'm going to see many people die today before I get to where I'm supposed to go. That's the way life is when you see it. God never manifests as a traffic cop to sort all of that out and make it all stop. They had done their best to, do, to, to you know, make a system out of it. And somehow, in the craziness, and the chaos, there was this little system that worked out. Until I realized the Lord was there, Jehovah Shammah. God was there. But he wasn't there as a traffic cop directing the traffic with signs and somebody, you know, giving directions to everybody. He was in my driver, Wilson. That's where God was. God was in the one driving my car. God was in the man that knew how to navigate through all those dangers. He knew how to speed up and slow down. When I would have pulled over, he hit the gas. When, when I would have said, oh, no, 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 let them go, let them go, giant truck and, and uh, all this, he would hit the, he'd lay on the horn. They never came off the horn. You drove through the city, your hand was just on the horn the whole time. And God was with my driver. He knew where he was going. He knew how to get there. So the fact is there are a lot of people in life, they don't want Jesus. What was the song, Jesus, take the wheel? I'm so sorry, I apologize for these metaphors. Jesus, take the wheel. Who was it who did that song? Terry Underwood, thank you. So at any rate, a lot of people don't want Jesus that close. They don't want him in the midst. They prefer him in the circumstances. My whole message this morning comes down to this. The Lord did not come to be in your circumstances. He came to be in the midst of your life. Your circumstances can be affected by you. God working through you in your circumstances. The Lord can bend rivers. He can flatten mountains. He can fill valleys. He can make a straight path for your feet. But he's not going to do it 
by moving the earth. He's going to do it by moving you. And he will provide that supernatural element. He could still open the eyes of the blind. He gives strength to lame legs. He's still the God of miracles. He's never separated from that miracle power, but he's come to be with you. And so, Christian, I want to tell you this morning, if you are somewhere between God with me or God, you know, occasionally I'm looking for, my whole prayer life is about getting God to direct traffic rather than, Lord, direct my heart then this morning I'm urging you to seek the Lord and let Him be Lord of your life. Put first His kingdom. Make Him first. In the midst versus not far. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When Jesus is with us, God with us, when He's with us, it means He is actively in the midst of our affairs, in the midst of our heart, in the midst of our thoughts, in the midst fundamentally of our desires. He is the sole desire and the thing that we seek. He is what we put first. When He's with us, He's with you because He's actively in the midst of your affairs, guiding your outcomes. And the reason He's able to do that is because you love Him back with the love with which He first loved you. That is the way it works. I know many of you think God has favorites. My wife says the Lord loves everybody, but I'm his favorite, and she lets me know that, and I believe that. I think she really is his favorite. But the reason I think she's his favorite is because he's her favorite. God doesn't have favorites in the sense that he's just decided he really digs this person, and he's really just doesn't have a whole lot of feeling for you. The fact is God loves those that love him. Now I want to get to that phrase, grace for grace. Of His fullness have we all received, grace for grace. Um, grace for grace means we are responding back to God by pursuing the love and the purpose with which He came to us. If grace and truth came to Chris in Jesus Christ, then that means that grace and truth has a purpose for Chris's life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians that I might know him and that I might apprehend the purpose for which he apprehended me. The difference between people that seem to know Jehovah Shammah, that have the presence of the Lord, and people who don't, really it's not a spiritual mystery and it's not a game of favorites. It boils down to those who want God, those who love him back with the love that he loved them. Now, I didn't love God before I was a a Christian, I hated God, and isn't that weird? Because as an atheist, I didn't believe in Him. How do you hate somebody you don't believe in? But I did. And then, of course, is the insanity of sin. So, um, so as an existentialist atheist, I'm hating the God that I don't believe in. But when I got, the night that I gave my life to the Lord alone in my bedroom, and He just revealed Himself to me, the way that He did was His love. He just filled me with His love. And Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God's been poured out into our heart through the Holy Ghost. That's how people get saved, is they, they just tilt their heart a little bit open. Lord, are you real? Are you there? And He'll introduce Himself through His love. Now, um, with that love comes the ability, the capacity to believe in Him. How do you go from not believing that God exists to all of a sudden talking to Him and knowing Him? And He's there. He gives you that faith. He pours it in you. So, the Lord put the love for Himself in me. But I took that love 
and begin to love him back. And that's really what you have to do is, many of you have accepted his love. You know that he loves you, but do you love him back? Are you loving him back? Are you pursuing him? It's grace for grace. Of his fullness, God wants to bless you out of his fullness. But it's grace for grace. Respond to him with grace. Lord, I want what you are offering. Really, this comes down to that. I want what you're offering. I'd like to have the lights turn green and the lights turn red at the right moment. That would be great, and I pray for that. But, Lord, I want you. I want the grace and the truth. I want you to be Lord over my life. I want that above everything else. Proverbs 8 and 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Now, God loves everybody, and the Bible says God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So what does He mean when He says, I love those that love me? He's talking about love in the verb sense of the word. I'm able to love actively, engage in loving you in the way that love manifests itself when you love me back. So when the Lord installed love, installed agape in me, I let Him do it, and with that love, I responded back. That flower opens up. Now, those who don't want relationship are only going to see God at a distance. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, check out this little phrase. Paul writes, or Luke writes, I should say, that men should seek God in the hope that they may feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet he is actually not far, not far from each one of us. Acts says that God is not far from any of us. That's true. In his omnipresence, God is always here. So what is Jehovah Shammah when it says the Lord is here? If he's omnipresent and he's everywhere and anyone can see him or know him in his omnipresence, the difference is, I don't want God not far, I want Him here. I don't want God kind of at a distance where in an abstract sense I know that God's there hanging out, you know, in the throne above the universe. I want to be where He is. I want to be in that throne or in His lap or in that fellowship place with Him. That's where the healing and the help and the blessing is. Not just having God at a distance. And a lot of people, faith for them is, I, I believe God is there. I believe He's, they know Him at a distance. And then when they need help, Lord, come and help me out, manifest yourself. Um, another scripture that brings this concept out about the difference between knowing God at a distance or knowing Him up close and intimate is in Psalm 138.6 where it says, for though the Lord is high, yet has he respect to the lowly, bringing them into fellowship with him. But the proud and the haughty he knows and recognizes only at a distance. So, clearly, the Lord is a God of relationship and desires that we be with him rather than at a distance. In other words, God is not a God that just wants to be acknowledged. All right, I'm looking at, uh, at the universe. I can tell that, uh, that somehow there's some sort of intelligence that went into designing this. So there's a designer, there's a God. 
uh, that doesn't satisfy God. We weren't created so that we could point to God and say, God exists. Love made us. Love created us. We were created for fellowship. That's why the Bible refers to those that receive him as the bride of Christ. That is the purpose sown into our design. That is our DNA, is to be with him. When Jesus select 12 disciples, the Bible says he came down from the mountain after praying all night, who should he pick? He comes down, picks the 12, and the Bible says he picked 12 that they should be with him. Their ultimate calling wasn't to work for him, but to be with him. That is what a Christian is. It's not trying to be like him, it's trying to be with him. By being with him, I'm like him. He rubs off on me when I'm with him. But running around, just simply trying to follow the code of the law, never really gets me there. But letting him be Lord of my heart, that's altogether a different thing. So the Bible says the proud are those that want to go with their, their own way and just keep God at a distance, acknowledge him at a distance. He knows afar off. And so if you're hearing this today and you're thinking, you know what, I think I kind of know him afar off. I'd really like to know him a little more intimately up close today, then the decision for you on your part is to love him with the love that he's put into your heart. Say, Lord, stir that love up in me. Make me to know it. Now, um, my wife knew me before I got saved, uh, before I became a Christian, and she knew me afterwards. She found something lovable in me as an existentialist atheist, I guess, obviously, right? There was something there. Um, but, the, but the fact is, is I know that there was a deep coldness and a hardness to my life, even though I had manners, was, knew how to be a decent person, but still, there was not that love. And you know what? When you ask the Lord, when you humble yourself, say, Lord Jesus, I'm not looking for you to give me the little laws of the universe. I'm asking you to come. See, that's how he has, he offers relationship by coming. That's why in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and we will have fellowship with one another. And so many of you are in a struggle today. You want to get God to work in your life. You want those blessings everyone's always talking about. I don't know what the motivation may be, but whatever it is, it's not to reach out for God to give you a law. Let him come. It's only one way he comes. Jehovah Shammah. And let me say this. It's, it really just flips my on switch. When I think that the, the furthest focus point in the Bible, that tangent runs out to eternity, and what we see, the last picture of God and his creation is a thing called the New Jerusalem, the city where God and his people are themselves together in one. That is huge to me, and it should be huge to you because that is the ultimate intent of our creation, is to be with him. It's to be with him. Praise the Lord. Um, Zephaniah 3.17, we'll kind of start bringing this to a close. Before we pray, let me share just these last couple things with you. The Old Testament, Zephaniah 3.17, says, The Lord your God in the midst of you. He is a warrior 
who can deliver. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by His love. He shouts for joy over you. So when we allow Jesus to be Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. That's how He is with us. A great deliverer, a great savior, a great warrior, conquering the enemies of our life, renews us in His love. It's in His love that we find that renewal and with shouts of joy He rejoices over us. So let me just say, in conclusion, whenever you and I have been together praying or you've at the beginning of the service were praying, you often hear me quote Psalm 63.3. It's just... It's just burned, etched into my soul. That verse that says, your loving kindness is better than life. You've heard me say it. You've said it. We used to sing a song many years ago, thy loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. One day, I used to love saying it. There was something about it. God's loving kindness is better than life. I thought, ooh, that's powerful. But one day, I actually thought about it. His loving kindness is better than life than life. I realize that life is a struggle against the unknown. But Jesus' loving kindness is a relationship with the known. I realize that in life you are wagering your soul, you are wagering all of your efforts against a house that's stacked against you in opposition. And nobody really leaves rich. Everybody ends up leaving, being taken, and scammed in life. So the fact of the matter is, life is hard, life is brutal. And even for those that appear to be at the top one day, every one of those, what do they call those, roller coasters, does have a drop to it. And so life is brutal, but your loving kindness is better than life. The loving kindness is that off-ramp we're not going to leave the world. Jesus said, I don't pray that the Lord will take you out of the world, but that he will keep you from the evil. Receive that loving kindness. Jesus is the loving kindness of God, inviting us into communion with himself. Jesus is that which is known. If this morning, when you think about tomorrow, what you face in the coming days of this week or the month that lies ahead, or you, some of you may be facing some issues, big or small in your life, um, you know what I mean by the unknown. There's an uncertainty to life. And Jehovah Shammah wants to put you in a better position. Why should you go through your life? Why should you enter days risking yourself on the unknown when God has something better. You can walk in what is known, God's loving kindness. What do I know about him? I know that he loves me and he's kind. His loving kindness is better than life. I know that it's not a wager. I'm not gambling when I let the loving kindness of God into my heart. When I let Jesus be Lord of my heart, I'm not at risk of, um, I'm not risk of being opposed, I'm not at risk of uncertainty, I know that he loves and cares for me. I know that he's carrying me. So isn't it better to enter a day where the Lord is there 
than to wager yourself against life alone. That really is what the question comes down to today. His loving kindness is better than life. I want you to close your Bible right now, if you will, if you've got it open or shut off your device. And uh, let's stand together. How do you respond to this this morning? It's such a simple message. I knew that you know, I wasn't trying to come with a new revelation or something deeper. Uh, or three steps to achieving something. It's just a simple decision, this message this morning. I'll put it in this context for you. Um, in these days that we live in, um, society is declining. The world seems to be moving into a period of darkness. In order to make it, the one thing you have that will preserve you is Jehovah Shammah. Be where he is. Let him be the Lord in the midst of you. Christians, tighten up your relationship with Jesus. Stop having an on-again, off-again relationship with him. Stop having a distant relationship with him. Make him Lord. Train yourself or retrain yourself to make Jesus your opening thought in the morning. To make engaging with him and your mind focusing on the truth of his word where you start your day every day. Make him Lord. It's how you're going to get through the uncertainty that lies ahead. When the Bible talks about that day when the Antichrist arises and has this great influence over the world, it says concerning that time, that era, whenever it is, we can see a ramping up into that kind of society today. The scripture says that those who refuse the love of the truth receive strong delusion so that they can believe a lie because they had pleasure in unrighteousness rather than in the Lord. And so our safety is in making him Lord of our life. And thank God you don't do that with a law. You simply do that by letting him love you. So right where you're standing this morning, I'd like you, if you would, just to take a moment and pray with me. And here's how we respond to this. Lord, wherever I am today, I have the opportunity to make a decision that Jesus, Lord, you are going to be my hiding place, my place of refuge. Your loving kindness is better than life. And so, just as I shared at the beginning, this is a chance for you to open up your heart and let him open it up from within. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Those of you that are here this morning and would say, admittedly, there has been distance. I know him kind of in a foggy, hazy way or at a distance. I'm a self-reliant person. And boy, there's nothing wrong with being capable. There's nothing wrong with being capable. But self-reliance isn't 
being capable. Self-reliance is saying in life, I'm, I can live my own life, my own terms, without help from God. The strongest, most capable person needs to bow their knee and say, Lord, you are the Lord of life. I ask you to come into my heart, guide and lead me. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I'd like you to pray with us. And let's pray together and just ask the Lord to come. Be Lord of your life, Lord of your heart. Lord, and let's say this together. Lord Jesus, Jesus, I believe believe that you came from the distant eternity and you drew near to me. You are the eternal God loving and speaking to me. You came, your word is truth and you are the grace of God for my life. I lift up the gate of my will. I open the doors of my heart and I welcome Jesus Come into my heart, be Lord of my life. Fill me with that love that you have come to me with. Impart it. Teach me. Help me to take hold of your love and to make it my own. Thank you, Father. Send the Holy Spirit to work in my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen.